0: Well, I um, am very glad that everyone is here with us this morning. If uh, I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Ian Garcia, and I am the next-gen pastor here for Real Hope Church. And uh, what that means is normally I get the privilege of working with our next generation, with our kids and our students uh, and, and typically I'm off doing that during this service, but today is a little different, and I get the this wonderful privilege to be up here and to speak with you guys today. So uh, let me start by just saying thank you. Thank you for being here today. We are so glad that you're here at our church. Uh, I hope that you have a great experience and that we, uh, we see you back again next week. Um, but let's go ahead and uh, we'll begin today. Um, I'll start a, a few weeks back uh, when Ryan and Jenny kind of approached me and asked me about uh, giving today's, message. Um, I was really excited about it. Um, I love to to teach. It's one of my passions. And so I was like, yes, for sure. I I definitely want to do that. Um, And so what I had to do was start thinking about what I wanted to talk about, right? What do do I want to talk about? And so I started thinking about uh, the time of year. You know, we're we're coming into the end of December. We've got a new year rolling around. It's just right around the corner, right? Um, And I started to think about this, this idea of new beginnings, right? Uh, it's kind of a natural time to start thinking about things like that um, anyways. And so I said, this, this idea of new beginnings is, I, I think, what I want to talk about. And it's because people think about that a lot this time of year, right? New beginnings or kind of fresh starts. Um, right now is the, the prime time for that. Now, the truth is that, you know, you can think about a fresh start or a new beginning any time of year. And there really is no bad time for that. Right, to start over or start fresh. Um, but right now is just kind of a natural time. It's a time where people start to evaluate their lives. Um, they start to kind of take stock of what's going on. And maybe you ask some questions, right? Uh, we ask things like, what are some things in my life that, that I could change, that might need some change? Um, what's working in my life? What's not working in my life, right? How can I be better? What can I, what can I do to be better at certain? Uh, certain things and it's just a it's a very natural fitting time to start thinking through those things Uh, it's just a great time for reflection uh, and evaluation and so when we do that uh, this time of year what we typically do is we make these things called new year's resolutions right Uh, new year's resolutions i've been in that boat i don't do them every year um, but i do many years make some resolutions and think on things that i want to kind of focus on for the new year Uh, and maybe you do too Um, And so when I started thinking about that, I thought, let let me do a little bit of research into this idea of New Year's resolutions. I wanted to find out um, who makes New Year's resolutions, how many people make New Year's resolutions, all those questions. And so I did a little bit of research. Uh, I went to Forbes magazine, and I looked at a study that they did for 2018. So it's the most recent year that that people would have made these resolutions. Um, And here's the information that I found. I'll share it with you. 40% Right of Americans, according to Forbes Magazine, 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Now, some might make one resolution, some might make several resolutions, but 40% make at least one, and uh, let me help you put that in perspective. That comes out to about 130 million people that make a new, at least one New Year's resolution coming up on the new year, 130 million people. Now... If you're anything like me, right, that automatically brings up a question, right? And you're probably thinking it right now, and that is how many of those 130 million people actually succeed in keeping that resolution, right? Here's the answer, 8%. According to that magazine, 8% of those people actually succeed in keeping it. That means that 120 million people fail, right? I don't know if they fail on the first day or in the first week, or maybe it's months into the new year, but at whatever point, they fail at keeping that resolution. I don't know about you, but that that helps me feel a little bit better about the resolutions I've failed to keep in the past. Uh, Maybe we've all been there uh, before. I mean, how how many of you still have that uh, exercise bike or that treadmill from a past New Year's resolution, right? It was the year you were going to do it, you were going to get in shape, you were going to run a mile every day, or you were going to bike your way to fitness. And now you hang clothes on it when you're doing the laundry? We've been there, right? I know, I know I've know. i done that. Um, but either way, if you're making a New Year's resolution this year, I, I hope that you're in that 8% um, and that you're able to keep it. I hope I'm in that 8% and able to keep the ones that I'm setting this year. Um, and as I was doing my research, I... I looked at those numbers, and then I started thinking, well, what are the New Year's resolutions that they make, right? I mean, I see how many people are making them and how many people are failing. What are the most common? Um, If I asked you to guess, you probably would be pretty good at guessing what these are. They're they're very common in uh, the people that choose them. Uh, And so I thought I'd give you the top five New Year's resolutions for 2018, and here's what what they are. Number five is uh, to learn a new skill. And when I read that one, I had never thought about that. As a resolution, I kind of like that. I mean, I I, I could learn some new things, right? I don't know how to do uh, a whole lot of stuff, so maybe I could learn a new skill uh, and pick that up. So that might be a good opportunity for me this year. Uh, Number four is to read more, right? To read more. I read that one and I was like, that's another good one because I could probably use with a little less Netflix and a little more reading. Um, So maybe that's another one that I should consider for 2019. And now the next three, these are all kind of tied for the top spot. These all kind of came in at that same uh, percentage level. And here's what they are. Number three is to spend less or save more money, right? Now that's a big one coming up this time of year. We just come off of Christmas, probably spend a little more than we should have or that we'd like to. Uh, and so it's a great time of year to look at you know, what, what was our financial situation like in two, you know, the last year. And maybe we want to spend a little less or save a little bit more. Um, And then the next two actually go together. These two, if somebody makes one of these, they're typically making both of them together at the same time. And they are to eat better, right, or to diet uh, and to get in shape or exercise more, right? Those two just kind of go hand in hand. So most people who are making one of those are making both of those together. And those are also really big this time of year. When we come off the holidays, right, where these huge meals and lots of pies and cookies everywhere you look, right? So it's a great time of year to start thinking through some of those things. But whatever the resolution is, right, whatever it is that we're deciding we want to change, we're looking at it as an opportunity. And that is what it is. It's an opportunity, right? Um, we're looking at this new year coming around, and it's fresh, it's new, right? It's starting over, and we start to think the same could be true for us. The same could be true for my life. I can be starting over, starting fresh. I have a chance at a new at a new beginning. Uh, and so that's what I want to talk with you guys about today, is this, uh, this idea of new beginnings. And so when I started thinking about that, I started to think about uh, what, what stories in the Bible I wanted to talk about with you guys today? What what, what illustrations do I want to use? Where do we want to go with that? And I started thinking through all these stories of new beginnings in the Bible because the Bible's full of them. There's so many of them to choose from. Um, I thought through things like um, like Abram, right, uh, picking up and just leaving everything he knew, right, in his homeland to follow God. That was a new beginning. I think about people like Moses who left this life in Egypt, right? And he started over in this new place only to start over again when God sent him back to Egypt, right? To free the people. And that was a new beginning. That was a fresh start for him a couple of times. Uh, I thought about the disciples leaving everything that they knew behind, right? To follow Jesus. That was a new beginning. That was a fresh start for all of them. And as I said, the Bible is of these stories. There's so many more to read through and to choose from. But when I sit down and I think about new beginnings, when I think about a fresh start, there's one person in the Bible who comes to my mind above any else, right? There's one person who shows up in my thoughts first, and that is uh, this guy named Saul, right? Saul is this guy who has this major revelation. He gets this this complete new focus in his life uh, at one point. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, a little bit today. Um, We're going to do that by reading in in Romans chapter 6. But before we get there, I think it's important that we kind of take a step back and we look at where Saul comes from, because this is a big part of his story and what this new beginning means to him. Uh, And so we're going to go back in Acts, and we're going to see a little bit about who Saul was, right? Um, and so, who Saul was, was, he, he was born around the same time that Jesus was born, okay? So, he, he's growing up in the same time, the same era, and he is a Jew. He was born a Jew, and not only a Jew, but like his father before him, um, he was a Pharisee, right? Now, the Pharisees were one of the strictest Jewish sects in Judaism at the time. He he studied under a Jewish master teacher named Gamaliel, right? And what he learned was to obey the law meticulously, right? To, to follow the law perfectly. That was who Saul was, right? That's what he was taught to do. Um, not, not a loose interpretation of the law, not straying away from it, but to be perfect in that. In fact, Saul would have been one of those 8%, right? When he made a resolution, when he decided to do something, he was going to stick to it, right? He was going to follow that through. And not only that, but he would have been the guy pointing out the other 92%, right? He'd have been like, you didn't do it and you didn't do it and you failed and you failed. That's the guy Saul was. That's what he was. That's what he believed and that's who he was, what he was doing. And because of his beliefs, Saul, Saul despised anybody, anybody that he considered to be blaspheming, Right? Or to be opposing his beliefs, right? This this strict practice of Judaism that he followed. And unfortunately, Christians fell into that category. They were a part of that category. And so he despised them. He despised them so much that he had a hatred for them. Um, it, it went so far beyond just not liking them. He, he in fact, hounded them is what the Bible says... Um, and it, Listen to what it says in in, uh, in Acts 8. It talks about Saul saying, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was going into their houses, pulling them out and taking them to prison. That's how much he hated these Christians, right? That opposed this idea, this, this strict version of Judaism that he was practicing. Uh, his hatred for them it led him to act in some pretty, pretty awful ways, right? In fact, imprisonment wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough to just have them arrested. Um, in, in Acts chapter 9, it speaks of Saul as breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, right? Putting them in prison just wasn't enough. He wanted them gone, right? He wanted execution of anybody that was following this guy named Jesus, um, and so that's what he was doing uh, at that time. And so we're going to pick up as Saul is on this journey, okay? So he gets this, this authority to go to this uh, town of Damascus, right? And he's going to do exactly what he's been doing. He's going to go seek out Christians. He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem, right, to stand trial, uh, to be imprisoned or in his hopes to, to be executed. This is what... His plan is, this is the whole journey, is designed around this and its intention. Um, But it's on that journey that he gets this new beginning, right? It's on that journey that everything changes for him. And so we're going to pick up in uh, Acts chapter 9. We're going to read through verses 3 through 20. It's going to be up here on the screen, but you're welcome to follow along if you brought your Bible. Uh, If you did not bring your Bible today, we do have some at the tables. Feel free to use those. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, feel free to take one of those home. We'd we'd love for you to have one of those uh, to take home with you today. Well, let's pick up in uh, Acts 9, verse 3. It says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Saul's on this road. He's in the middle of this journey to do what he's been doing, to find Christians, to imprison them, right? Bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And it's in the middle of this journey that he's interrupted, right? He's just interrupted, and everything that, that he was going to do is changed. Um, let's pick back up. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he, said, he answered. Is well known, right? Ananias knows who this guy is. It's no secret who Saul is. And not just who he is, but he also knows his intentions, right? He's saying he's got authority to come here and to arrest us and to do these things to us. He understands that. Uh, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so even though Ananias knew who Saul was, even though he knew his reputation and what he was here to do, he obeyed. He obeyed God and he followed. He sought out Saul. He found him. um, And here's what happens. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? He's preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's an amazing story, right? That is what it means to have a new beginning. Saul got to experience that. We've got this guy who's entirely opposing Christians, completely, right? He, he's, he's seeking them out. He's arresting them. He, he's putting them in prison. He's having them executed, and that's one minute, and then the next minute, what is he doing? He's in the synagogue, and he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God, right? On that road to Damascus, everything changed for Saul. Everything changed. His focus, everything that he lived his life for was new. It was different. He had a new beginning. And that's where we're going to pick up in uh, in the book of Romans, um, chapter 6, and see what... What Paul has to say about that, right? What what that experience, uh, what he, how he sees that, and his viewpoint on that. Now, the book of Romans is it's a letter that that he writes to the church in Rome. Um, he actually had a desire to go and to visit the church, but he hadn't had an opportunity to do that. So he writes them this letter, um, and it's in this passage in Romans chapter six that we get this insight into. Uh, Paul's experience with the new beginning, how he views it, um, and what he has to say about it. And so we're going to take a look at that, uh, and we're going to walk through it. Um, I want to start by saying that because of his experience, right, because of his experience, um, he's able to anticipate what his objectors are going to be, right, the people who oppose him. Now, um, this, this is what we're about to read is all happening 20 years after this change on the road to Damascus. So he's had twenty years of traveling and teaching that Jesus is the Son of God. He's living this new life, right? He's taken the, he's taken it, and he's made the most of it. He's, it's been his focus for all twenty years, and now he's here writing this, and he's anticipating some of the, the objections of his critics, because um, he understood that what he was preaching was this idea that. God justifies you based solely on grace, right? And so by doing that, he knew that some were going to look at that as kind of a a free pass to sin, right? That maybe he was encouraging it, kind of like if God forgives you no matter what, I mean, why not just sin and then just ask for forgiveness, right? He understood that. He knew that question was coming. And so what he does is he starts off this passage by admitting that, by, by putting it out there and asking the question, before anybody else can, right? And so he does that uh, in verse one. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase, right? He's saying, this is the question that you have. I understand that, right? I know that you have this question. He's putting it out there before anybody else can put that question out there. Um, I mean, since God's gonna forgive us anyways, why shouldn't we just continue in our sin, right? He's just gonna forgive it and we'll be okay. And, What he does is he goes into verse 2, and he answers this immediately. The way he answers it, here's what he says. He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, I want you to highlight that first part of that that sentence right there where it says, by no means. And we're going to take a little bit of a look at what that statement means. Now, in the original language, in the Greek language... Um, the word that's being translated here is meganoito, right, meganoito, and that translates as uh, by no means um, or uh, may it never be It's kind of the, the literal translation there and what he's saying. Um, and I want you to understand that this statement, right, this, this may it never be or by no means, this is one of the strongest Greek idioms for repudiating a statement, okay? Not only is he saying, by no means there's there's this there's this sense of outrage in his statement, right? I want you to get an idea of kind of the tone that he's speaking with here. Um, there's almost a sense of, of disgust. He's like, "How could you even think that? How could that even be possible?" Is it, kind of his thinking here. Um, I might be able to help you um, to kind of put that in perspective. When I started thinking through. That idea of, of, of saying that statement and the tone that he was using, the first thing I thought of, and this will date me a little bit, um, is uh, there was this movie that came out in 1995 called Clueless. You guys ever seen that movie? Yeah, some of you? I might be the only one. Um, and the, the main character in this movie, she would say this thing uh, all the time, and she would go, as if, right? As if. Like that would ever be an option, as if. And there was this disgust in her voice when she would say it, to no matter who she was saying it to. And that was the first thing I thought of when I thought about this statement here that, that Saul is making, right, that Paul's making. He's saying as if that would even be possible, right? That's not what I'm saying here. He's like, we, we don't go on sinning just because he's going to forgive us anyway. And you can, you can hear that disgust in his voice when he's talking to them, that, that sense of outrage, um, and the second part of this statement, of this verse here, is really, really important. Uh, it's important because it's actually the fundamental premise of all of chapter 6. He's about to lay it out right here. In fact, what he's going to do is he's going he's to put it out right here, and then he's going to spend the whole rest of the chapter supporting it and talking about it right, and trying to explain it. Um, and he lays it out in another question. He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If we've died to sin, how can, how can we live in it any longer? Now, you might notice here that um, Paul likes speaking in questions, and he's going to continue to do that. He's going to do that a lot um, through this chapter. That's one of the ways that he likes to work. Um, and so he's answering that question. That That's his premise. He presents it, and he answers it by posing yet another question. He says, um, Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, right? Now, let's pause for a moment and let's take a look at this word baptized. Um, as we read in Acts, Paul himself, as soon as this change happened, as soon as he, he was interrupted on this journey and he met Ananias and, and went through these things, he was baptized immediately, right? It was one of the first things um, that he did. But what he's talking about here in this passage isn't so much the the idea of a immersion in water right what you think of when you hear the word baptism he's speaking more on a metaphorical sense here and what he's talking about is an immersion in jesus that's what he's talking about it's a complete and total immersion in who jesus is right he's saying that by placing our faith in jesus we are, in fact, united and identified with him. That's how people see us now. That's how people know us when we have done that. Now, water baptism is a great picture of that, right? In fact, that's what it's designed to be. It is an outward expression, right, of that immersion in Jesus that we show to others. It's, a, it's the, the physical representation of that is that water baptism. But he's speaking here in that metaphorical sense. Um, of being immersed in Jesus, right? Uh, And he's saying that because we are united with Jesus, that his death and his burial, they become ours. We have died and been buried, right? That's what he's talking about there. We have died and we have been buried. But why is that important that we would be aligned with Jesus in his death? What's the significance of that? He answers it in verse 4. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's why it's important, right? Highlight that part, a new life. That's the new beginning we're talking about today, right? Paul understood that because he had received it. He had gotten that opportunity, he had taken it, And he had made the most of it. And he wanted his followers, his readers, to understand how important it was that we are united with Jesus in that way, right? Um, If we are united with him in his death, then we're going to be united with him in his resurrection as well, right? We're going to be united with him in that. Now, Jesus underwent a physical death and resurrection, right? Right? Um, He paid a physical price for the sins that we commit. Um, Now, one day as followers of Jesus, we're going to get to experience that. We're going to get to experience a physical resurrection, right? And a new life. But today, today, right now, we get the opportunity to experience a spiritual resurrection. We don't have to wait for it. We can live that new life starting now. When we are aligned with Christ in that new life, we get this new focus. It's a new principle of life. That's the opportunity that we're being presented with. Uh, Let's pick back up in verse 5 here. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self, highlight that part, our old self, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Paul is saying here that our old self has been crucified, right? has been crucified. Now, understand that when he's talking about old, when he says the word old here, he's not just referring to it in terms of years. This is not just uh, how old something is, but what he's saying here, there's this connotation of it being worn out, it's useless, right? Your old self, this worn-out self, this useless self—it's crucified. It's gone. It's dead. Right? It's that kind of an idea: useless or being worn out. I don't know about you guys, but in in my house, there's kind of two trains of thought on something being worn out or useless. Um, my wife, uh, she she tends to hold on to things. Right? Uh, if something is worn out. Or maybe not as useless or not as useful as it used to be, she tends to keep it right She might hold a sentimental value to it or something like that, but she likes to, to hang on to things um, i mean I, I'm, I'm getting older and she keeps me around so prime example there um, but i 'm different like if something's not useful anymore i 'm like let 's get rid of it let 's throw it away let 's get a new one or replace it with something but if it 's useless, why hang on to it that 's kind of my trainer thought um, except for my favorite t-shirt. I, I will never throw that out, right? It it's, Guys, you with me? It's got holes, stains, right? Your wife doesn't allow you to wear it anywhere except the house, but that thing's not getting thrown away. Other than that, right? Other than that, if it's useless, let's take it and let's get rid of it. That's, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying your old life, your old self, it's, it's useless, it's gone, it's dead, it's crucified. It's no longer here, right? It's no longer here. Um, now, he's not saying that, that sin is totally gone from our lives. That's, that's not what he's, what he's referring to here. Um, what he is saying that that it no longer has mastery over us. It no longer has control over us. That's the important thing that he's talking about here. Let's, uh, let's continue on in verse 7. He says, "...because anyone who died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him." For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. Highlight that part, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, right? The death he died, he died once for all. Christ died here in, in two senses that we can look at. The first is in regards to to sin's penalty, right? Um, He met the legal demand that a sinner faces. There's a legal demand there, right? Um, For the wages of sin is death. Death is what we earn in the sin that we commit. And he met that legal demand for that. He died to that. And in the second sense, he died in regards to sin's power, right? Those who belong to Jesus... That sin that we once had in our lives, it, it is no more, right? The, the power and the control that it had over us is gone. It, it's, it's been crucified, right? Not only has it been crucified, but it's been crucified once for all. The effect that his death had is eternal. It never has to happen again because it's been done. It's complete And so what he does is he comes in and he finishes off this passage with a challenge, right, Uh, in verse 11. I want you to go ahead and highlight all of 11 because this is the challenge that he's issuing to us as readers of this book. Um, And he's saying here, what he's saying is that if the life Jesus lives, right, he lives to God, if that's true, he says this, in the same way count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, when he says this, he's not saying that we should trick ourselves into kind of thinking this way, right? To to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. What he's saying is that we should totally embrace that. That that is the truth. That we have been given the opportunity for a new life. To take it in the same way that he took it, right? To change his entire life's focus to serving the Lord and to leading others to him. that's what he wants from us. The amazing thing here, the amazing part of this story is Paul's experience. That's what makes it so powerful, right? Paul is, he's not speaking here in in generalities on some things that might have been revealed to him uh, through other sources. He's speaking from personal experience. He's lived this out. And we get to, to look at this and, and see his view on this. I mean, Saul lived a life of sin, right? He, he opposed Jesus. He opposed Christians. He arrested them. He had them executed, right? But that was his old self. That was the self that died on that road to Damascus. That was the, the self that had been crucified. And what resurrected was something new. It was his opportunity to at a new beginning, an opportunity to start over that he took wholeheartedly and that he ran with. And that's what he wants us to understand when we read this. Um, He wants us to understand that we're all given that opportunity. We all have that same chance. We all get to make that choice, right? He wants us to know that it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how full of sin our lives may be up to this point we still have that opportunity. I mean, if I ask you today, who's one person that is not deserving of that new life? It's Saul. He's the one. He's the one you'd think of, right? He's the guy, if there was ever a person that didn't deserve it or that God wouldn't offer it to, it would be him. But that's not the case. The Lord gave it to him anyway, right? He said, you you are going to be my instrument. And he gave gave Paul this new life. And Paul wants everybody that he speaks to, everybody that he encounters, everybody that he's around, to understand that, to know that, and to present them with that opportunity to say, here is your choice. Here's what happened to me. You're given that opportunity here today. What are you going to do with it? That's what he's presenting to them in this passage. And so... Today, I, I, I don't know where you are in your faith today. Um, we're all in, in, in different parts of our lives and different walks, and, and some of us are at, at different points. Maybe, you know, some of us have, have made that opportunity. We've had that opportunity. We've made that decision to take a new beginning, right, and to start over. But maybe we're not, we're not really living it out right now, right? Maybe we're not following Paul's example uh, of really taking a hold of it and doing something with it. Um, if that 's you today I, I would encourage you to, to go home reread through chapter six on your own and really pray about w- what is God asking you what is what is he calling you to do with this opportunity that you 've been given right uh, and, and try and determine where he wants you in that um, maybe you 're on the fence right now maybe you 've read through this maybe you hear this and you you, you kind of don 't know how you feel about it maybe you have some questions maybe you even have some doubts about it right if that's you i I would encourage you seek out one of the the pastors on our staff we'd love to talk with you we'd love to to try and answer questions and to to walk you through any doubts that you may have and to help you process those we want to be here for you in that Um, and maybe some of you today just maybe you feel like you're a lost cause maybe you feel like like man i'm just my life is full of sin, and I'm, just, I'm not worthy of a new beginning. How could God give me a new beginning with the way that, that I'm living or the things that I do? And I, mean, I want you to know that's, that's so far from the truth. It's So far from what God is telling you today. God is offering everybody this grace, this opportunity. And here's the thing. He bases it solely on your need, not your worthiness. He says you need it, and so I'm giving it to you. You don't have to earn it because you can't earn it. Here it is. I want you to understand that. If that's, if that's you today, I would invite you to come and find me before you leave today because I'd like to talk with you, and, and I'd love to just pray with you a little bit more about what this means. I'm going to end today with a, a passage out of 2 Corinthians. This is also uh, written by Paul. Um, here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? This is is Paul's life in a sentence. This is what he experienced. This is what, what he held on to and what he wants everybody else to know is that, if you're in Christ, man that old self it's it's gone. not only is it gone, not only do you have a new life but you have you are a new creation you have been created from the beginning now, right with this new focus, this new purpose your old self has passed away, and behold the new has come. Let's close in prayer, dear Lord, I, we come to you today and we just I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity this day to to gather here as a church, Lord, to hear your word, um, to serve you, to worship you, and to honor you, Lord. I pray today that, um, that you would just help us to have the, the courage, uh, the desire, Lord, the wisdom to take this opportunity of a new life that you have given to us, Lord, uh, that we would take it the way that, that Paul took it, that we would run with it, that we would use it, Lord, that it would become the focus of the new life, Lord, that you would be at the center of that, and that all that we do Uh, would bring you glory and honor uh, in an attempt to bring others to that same opportunity in making that choice, Lord. We pray all of these things today. In Jesus' name, amen.